listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Ozzy Osbourne's sixth studio album, No More Tears. Released on September 17th, 1991, the album would find Ozzy moving into the 90s with his second biggest selling album with four million in sales, falling only behind the five times platinum Blizzard of Oz. The band would be the same as the one featured on his last studio album, No Rest for the Wicked, although bassist Bob Daisley this time around would not contribute to any of the lyrics or songwriting. Instead, Motorhead's Lemmy Kilmister would lend a helping hand with the lyrics for four of the album's tracks. Bob would also not participate in any of the videos or touring for the album. No More Tears embraced a more commercial radio hard rock direction with songs like Mama I'm Coming Home and the title track getting lots of airplay on radio and MTV. With the dawn of grunge on the horizon and Nirvana's Nevermind set to be released a mere week after No More Tears, the massive success of the album would help carry Ozzy through the not-so-metal-friendly 90s. With Ozfest and the Osbournes TV show on the horizon, No More Tears was the first step towards Ozzy becoming a name even your grandmother would recognize. For interest to Black Sabbath fans, seek out the live EP Just Say Ozzy, released a little over a year before No More Tears. It features then-touring bassist Geezer Butler playing live on four Ozzy solo tunes and two Black Sabbath songs. Okay, Darren, No More Tears. What are your memories of uh, this album? I remember seeing it in the record store. Um, This is the only Ozzy album that I did not buy when it came out. In fact, I don't think I bought it for a couple years. I didn't get this album until after um, Live and Loud came out. I liked what I heard on Live and Loud, Live and Loud. It was a live album, and I that was actually, other than the songs that were the big hits, like Mama, I'm Coming Home, and the title track, No More Tears, um, I really hadn't heard anything from No More Tears. I was kind of sequestered in my own little world of like, gosh, 91, I was pretty much just listening to aggressive metal death metal mostly that's what i was really into and maybe a little bit of grunge but not a whole lot um but definitely i i moved away altogether from uh mainstream hard rock and heavy metal it just wasn't wasn't really what i was interested in anymore and and a lot of it was kind of getting lumped in with the the glam the uh what would you say like third generation glam rock metal hair bands which um was just awful at the time guns and roses i think simultaneously had released their use your illusion one and two and that was just like that was it for me i that that kind of summarized that that whole genre for me was this guns and roses craze and 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 all the bands like danger danger and like I said, like the third string of hair metal, I I had really 
pulled away from all that. And unfortunately, Ozzy was sort of a casualty. And when I did see the album cover, it only sort of reinforced what I what my suspicions were. And I, I even avoided it more so because of the look of the album, turning it over, um, the song titles and things like that. So I, I avoided it for a couple of years. But like I said, Live and Loud brought me into it, like the songs. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a lot different from from Ozzy's previous stuff. There, it wasn't really very dark. And if, if there was anything that even kind of like remotely flirted with with anything of a dark nature is mostly from a uh, realistic or a, uh, life experience kind of perspective um which was really different for ozzy because there was always there was always that element of like um horror involved with ozzy's image and his music up until this time and uh that that sort of alienated me too i i didn't really know how to how to process this album so i just didn't <laughs> uh, i i just kind of ignored it for a couple of years uh eventually though i did come around to it but it wasn't wasn't for a while that's funny my story is i was i was smiling when you started telling your story because mine is almost exactly the same this is the only ozzy album that i didn't buy when it when it basically came out uh I did not come around to this till after getting live and loud because on live and loud, there's, I think five songs from this, from this album that's, that's on there. Uh, my reason a little bit different. Uh, I, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I had drifted away from metal a bit in like right around 89. And I should say I drifted away from like what you're talking about. I was, I was very, very much burned out on the whole danger danger uh uh firehouse trickster all those bands yeah. that were dominating a thing around 88 89 uh my as i like to say my favorite bands weren't putting out my favorite albums and so i i just kind of drifted away uh by the time we get to 92 93 i'm listening to the first wave of grunge and uh so so this album it came out you kind of couldn't avoid for me i i found i couldn't avoid hearing some of these songs like uh no more tears and mama i'm coming home we're all over classic rock radio we're all over mtv i remember hearing uh the road to nowhere that had a video i think time after time was getting some radio airplay on our local local rock station so by the time i got live and loud i was kind of familiar with some of those uh heard the songs on there and it was kind of you know i went out and got the album just because <laughs> it wasn't like i was even though i heard the songs on live and loud and it wasn't like it made me run out and like oh my gosh i gotta go get no more tears and and like you i i, I kind of i remember feeling like yeah the album cover seemed like it ozzy deliberately moving away from the more the horror comic booky image of you know you think of the ultimate sin album cover and of course the classic blizzard and diary covers and when i did eventually get the record that was kind of how i felt about it and it's kind of how i feel today this 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 album is like a split for me with ozzy there's no more that darkness the the 
that mood and feeling that I like from from Ozzy. You get almost none of that on this record. I mean, No More Tears is probably the heaviest, darkest song on here. But the rest, you don't get that really at all. He's really firmly moved himself into American hard rock radio. That's what this sounds like. And one could argue that he started moving in this direction with even the ultimate sin, but the ultimate sin for me was more him sort of pandering to the LA scene at that, at that time. But this is really moving into radio hard, right? It's, there's, there's not that much. It, it felt like there wasn't that much heavy metal on this record. It felt like more of a hard rock album to me. And it also Zach, uh, I remember when we did No Rest for the Wicked, you mentioned Zach kind of his more influenced by like the blues and Southern rock and stuff like that. And I don't really hear that on No Rest for the Wicked, but I hear that all over this record. I hear Southern rock and that kind of blues thing. And I love blues. I love Southern. I, I love Molly Hatchet and Blackfoot, you know, but I don't like it mixed with my Aussie. And so that never worked for me. I never liked that country kind of picking the Southern Rocky Leonard Skinner sort of influence that Zach really started bringing to the band at this point, which is ironic because I'm, I'm a huge fan of his pride and glory album, which he really yeah, goes, too. he goes all in on the Leonard Skinner, the Almond brothers thing on that. But I love mm -hmm. that it, but I just don't like it mixed with with my Ozzy. I love orange juice and I love tequila, but I just don't like, uh, uh, you know, vodka, but I just don't like orange juice and vodka together. And it's kind of like here, I, I just don't like the mix of Ozzy with this kind of sound. And, and Zach really does that kind of all over this record. That said, I am a, I am a sucker for Ozzy singing ballads. So you get three pretty big ballads on here time after time the road to nowhere and mama i'm coming home so i do like hearing him sing those kind of songs but this kind of felt like it was sort of the end for me with with ozzy and although i would buy all his albums after this when they came out and like them to varying degrees uh it really felt like this was a break from his past now, looking back at it through the lens of time, I mentioned in the intro that this was released a week before Nevermind came out. And a lot of people look to the date of the Nevermind's release and say that was ground zero for the death of, of, of heavy metal. But it took Nevermind a little bit to get off the ground. It isn't like it came screaming out of, out of the gates, but it wasn't too far after Nevermind got released that the whole landscape of of metal changed at least in the us i know when i have this discussion from people from other countries grunge didn't affect metal around the world the same way that it did in the us but looking at this album now i can kind of appreciate that this album is what kept ozzy helped ozzy survive the 90s if you yeah. go down the list of bands that hard rock slash heavy metal bands that established themselves in the seventies and eighties, especially in the eighties, how many of them thrived 
and grew to bigger success in the 90s. Not many. Uh, Metallica, the Black Album, took them to another level. Uh, One could argue Pantera, but I kind of feel Pantera is a 90s band, even though they had a glam metal phase, but that was so underground. You know, for me, Pantera really starts starts in, you know, starts in the 90s. So there's uh, and Ozzy. When you look at all his other contemporaries, I mean, let's look at Dio. Uh, Dio was playing stadiums, was playing arenas. Dio at the live at the Spectrum. You know, yeah. by the time we're to 1995, Ronnie is 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 playing clubs. Yeah. Iron Maiden can't tour the U.S. or they're canceling large amounts of dates. Uh, same thing with Judas Priest. Uh, so many bands just 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 uh, all, all the la strip bands got got sort of wiped off off the map i mean so not many acts survived into the 90s and this like i mentioned in the intro is ozzy's second biggest selling record it's four times platinum uh it's a huge huge album for him and and for me even though blizzard of oz is five times platinum this is the album for me that's that sets Ozzy up for the Ozzy that we sort of know today. The Ozzy, the Osbournes TV show Ozzy, the guy that shows up on talk shows, the guy that's on game shows, and that's become like this sort of main he's become a mainstream character. And this is the first step towards that. And you see that like, and I believe that this was a conscious thing. Now, whether they were sensing the winds of change. Or they just got lucky with its decision to change, you know, to move in this this direction with the sound. There's no denying that it was a conscious thing. You mentioned the album cover. To me, this is Ozzy trying to look more sophisticated, more leaving behind the more cartoonish nature of like the Ultimate Sin album cover and the bats and all that castles and the sort of horror thing is much to my lament because I, I do love that stuff. But this is Ozzy now moving into this more sort of mature Ozzy. You even hear it in the songs, the lyrics. There's almost no hammer horror type lyrics. We don't get anything like that across any of any of these songs. Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, this just moves him into he also this is the beginning of Ozzy. Almost like looking back at his 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 career and almost like he starts singing about himself you know like uh, the road to nowhere uh the video for the road to nowhere is him like sitting there watching the tv with old clips of him and sabbath so he almost becomes like this elder statesman at this point of heavy metal and this carries through into ozfest which i forgot to look up when ozfest started i'm gonna guess it was like the late mid to late 90s when ozfest got got started but this is ozzy becoming this grandfather of heavy metal the godfather of heavy metal this elder statesman of of heavy metal and he he carries this through even to this day like you know let me hear you scream i'm still crazy you know he brings this up this i forget what song uh uh 
it's the same old desire, crazy train, crazy. You know, he's like referencing older songs and everything. So it's definitely this shift into like, you know, maybe it's a midlife Ozzy. You know, we're here midlife Ozzy. I don't know how old he is at this point. He's probably what in his mid thirties, mid late thirties or something. Forties, early forties. Yeah. So he's sort of moving into, it's like, you know, he's moving into this midlife thing. He starts dressing, you know, a little bit more sophisticated if you will and stuff like that the lyrics start becoming a little bit more uh, neutral that just everybody can kind of relate to the lyrics rather than the more you know gothic-y type of lyrics that that tend to dominate his 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 other records so so i have real mixed feelings about it in some ways i say hey this was a smart move and who can argue with four times platinum and the huge amount of success that he had and it took him into the 90s it helped him survive the 90s when pretty much everybody else got blown off the map uh it, it 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 set up this second half of his career for me but then the kid who bought Blizzard of Oz in 1981, late 80s, 81, misses that era of the band. I miss that sound. I it, I miss the old Ozzy, and it would unfortunately never quite really uh, come back for me after this this point. So this album is is a breaking point for me with with Ozzy. He moves into this new phase, and it. All this album did was kind of make me miss the old the old Ozzy. You know, I miss yeah, <clears throat> I, I miss the way that the tone and the dark the dark vibe to a lot of the the older Ozzy stuff. I get little to none of that on this record. We grew up with uh, that was our Ozzy. That was what we came into. Our Ozzy bit the head off the bat. Um, he had castles on stage. He dressed in like a rust colored chain mail suit you know ozzy was hammer horror uh, ozzy was an extension of um horror movie visual thing um which i i guess you could you could attribute to his time in black sabbath although black sabbath wasn't really a horror barring maybe a couple songs that kind of dabbled in that a bit but for the most part uh black sabbath lyrically were not a horror what i would consider to be a horror band and they had some imagery some of the album covers kind of like were a nod to that but i think ozzy really developed that into his persona and, and we've talked about this when we talked about some of the earlier albums ozzy developed that um exaggerated it and made that his image up to this point and i think that at, at this point Ozzy was kind of tired of that. I mean, he even said that he wanted to do an album that wasn't doom and gloom. He wanted to do an album that was would was like a, a rock and roll record, a hard rock record that made people happy, that got people excited, not depressed. <laughs> um, so that's what he set out to do. And I think that it was good timing. It was a good decision. And I'm sure he it was not planned this way but it just worked out the stars aligned ozzy had this idea he had this commitment to do this at this time where it was the right time musical climate i think the kids you know you could say well grunge came up and it took over it kicked heavy metal out i don't agree with that i think grunge was always there i remember in the 80s early late 80s 
And then by late 80s, I mean like 87, 88. Um, I remember seeing Mud Honey Records and Soundgarden Records at uh, Third Street Jazz and Rock in Philadelphia or the Philadelphia Record Exchange. There, there was there was grunge rock. It wasn't called that. I guess you could call it like post-punk or something. I don't think there really was a name for it. It looked kind of metal, but it, it sounded kind of punk. It was like a hybrid of, yeah. of metal and punk. And it was just something that was coming out at that time. And there was a few bands that were doing it. Uh, but I think that when heavy metal got to a point so you could say that 1983 was basically the height of heavy metal popularity. That, that's when everything just like exploded. You had Quiet Riot, Metal Health, and then the floodgates opened and all these bands and everything. Hit Parader, Circus Magazine, Cream Magazine, splashed, covers were splashed with, with all these all these bands of big hair, bright col colored clothing, and so on and so forth. And it was cool. But it it kind of ran out of steam, and it ran out of steam around the late late eighties, and 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 it did. And it, it when, when I said earlier about you had like a third string of these bands like Danger Danger, and uh, you mentioned a couple Trickster. What was the other one you mentioned? Firehouse. Firehouse. Yeah. yeah. Firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> the Nelson Twins or the Nelson Brothers, yeah. or whatever they are. Yeah, and and so that was coming up, and it was like it really wasn't. I I just don't think it was very stimulating for the kids at that time. It didn't really, I think the younger generation at this point in time was not interested in the things that these bands were singing about. They weren't into a lot of the, the lyrics were overtly sexual, which was, you know, it was the thing that kind of carried over from the seventies into the early eighties. And then it was like Motley Crue and, and Quiet Riot to some degree, with Def Leppard and all these bands. That was like basically, that was the main subject matter. It was it was sex. I think by the end of the end of the eighties, kids, man, they, they just weren't getting into that anymore. They wanted something that was a little bit more sincere. I think they wanted something that they could draw from their own experience and have something that spoke to them things that they were dealing with at the time just being a kid i don't think escapism was necessarily what they were looking for i i think they wanted something or someone to commiserate with and i think that's what made nirvana and Soundgarden and pearl jam so popular it was just there it was going to be there anyway it was there. The kids were moving away from the stuff that Lita Ford was doing and these Danger Danger and the Firehouse and Trickster and, and even what the other bands that had been around longer were doing. They were just sort of like treading water and just regurgitating the same stuff. And the kids wanted something different. They wanted something more sincere. And so Ozzy comes out at this particular point in time with something that was more sincere, something that was more personal lyrically um it, it wasn't putting on any pretense about being the prince of darkness at this point and i think it was e easier for kids to 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 relate to this i think that if diary of a madman had come out at this early 90s 91 I, i'm not sure it would be as successful as it was when it came out in 1981 i could be wrong but i don't think 
I think the attitudes kind of shifted at this point. And so Ozzy just happened to make this decision, be at the right place at the right time. And it was it was successful. I I, I now that's not to say that every song on this album is uh all of a personal nature. I mean, you had like, you know, Mr. Tinker Train and, and a couple party songs on here. But I mean more than anything else he'd done before, it, it had kind of a more of a sincere nature to it. And and I think that's kind of what resonated with kids that were, were buying music at this at this point in time. So I think it was a good decision. Um it kind of turned me off, <laughs> like I said, but I was older. And um and actually I went the opposite way. I, I went full on into like I was listening to bands like the Swedish death metal bands, Dismember, Entombed, Grave, um, in the Florida death metal, like uh, Morbid Angel, Deicide. I mean, I was moving into like stuff that was really like more horror related. You, you know, I mean, I, I was all about that. So, but I I, I came from a different de- uh, generation. Um, you know, I I wasn't even though I, I did appreciate some of the grunge stuff. I I wasn't a grunge kid. I wasn't walking around wearing wearing flannel and stuff i was still wearing band shirts a leather jacket or denim jacket you know i was still like kind of a throwback to to when i got in heavy metal and and um and the glam stuff definitely turned me off but instead of moving into something that was what the the grunge genre the grunge movement brought to the table i kind of went in the opposite way i went towards the more aggressive metal um but be that as it may, um, when this record came out, it would have been very easy with just a couple of things with an album cover that maybe um, would look something like Judas Priest ram it down or something that was just screaming like, oh, my God, I, haven't these guys moved on from this sort of thing yet? It, it, yeah. If it wasn't right in the moment in the right time if it wasn't current i I think it i think it would have been ozzy would have been a dinosaur too and i think he would have gotten thrown on a pile with judas priest and and iron maiden i think iron maiden at this point was um i'm not yeah okay so bruce was still in the band but i mean i i I think that they kind of started to like sputter out this was like no prayer for the dying and although maiden was still very popular outside of the u.s they're their stock they, had dropped a lot and they were the, kind of searching the yeah and, and they were kind of searching for some relevance and and yeah. things that were changing um you, you mentioned that metallica were were on are on top the black album i think that megadeth rest in peace was was pretty yeah. as well so we had we, we, we at least had you know you said pantera we had megadeth we had metallica and i think we could add ozzy to the list of um holdouts from the generation before and i guess guns and roses too i used your illusion one and two that was pretty popular i think that was uh it was trending so um yeah but i mean it it was kind of surprising that ozzy did did take this course um it it seemed like he was really well acclimated to being the crazy madman you know i mean that was his image for so many years that was like his whole identity and uh and maybe it was him kind of taking a risk to move away from that, but I just think he was so tired of it. And he had, 
it had Zach in the band, and I think Zach was a really big asset. I think Zach came in with a lot of um, a lot of ambition, a lot of ideas. I think he really shaped the songs. I think it inspired Ozzy. Um, Lemmy came in. He wrote lyrics to six songs. Uh, four they only used four of them. Um, Lemmy has more of a down to earth sort of. Uh, uh, more worldly perspective on things, and I think that that suited material in this album. It really married well with the uh, with the music that that became a part of this record. And um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it all just kind of fell into place. It was the right decision at the right time, the right group of musicians. I mean, you, you had Bob Daisley, who was, of course, a holdout from the '80s, but you know, Bob came in and did a, did a really good job. You know, great bass player. Um, Ozzy felt comfortable working with him. Um, I think Mike Inez was. Yeah, the the story goes that Mike. I guess I wish we could mention this now that because you do see you don't see Bob in the videos for the songs. You see Mike Inez, and uh, the story goes that he was there. He was in the band. Ozzy wasn't feeling it uh, with with him, and Ozzy kept lamenting to zach if we could just find somebody that plays like bob daisley and eventually zach just took him and went why don't you just call bob daisley <laughs> so yeah. bob came in kind of after all this you know he just came in as the bass player whereas mm -hmm. previously before that bob was always involved in the writing even though for instance he didn't play on the ultimate sin he was still involved in the songwriting so bob comes in and Bob plays bass on it. You, Mike Inez gets a writing credit on No More Tears because that bass intro, I guess, was something that Mike had come up with. And according to Bob, he sort of twisted it around a little bit for the musicians out there. It's in an odd time signature. So Bob sort of took it and, and twisted it around a, a bit, but it was inspired by Mike Inez. So that's, that's where you get that writing credit on uh, No More Tears. But yeah, you're right. And, and you know, it doesn't really take, if you look through the history of music, every style has about three to five years where they're really relevant. I mean, prog rock, uh, heavy metal, uh, new metal, grunge, pop punk, uh, you know, whatever. You just go down, go down the list and with things that are popular, you have a window of like three to five years. The same thing happened with grunge where you, you're, you're got your eighth generation nirvanas. By the time you get to the late nineties, people get tired of it. And then you also have a whole new generation of people. There's a whole generation of kids that their first introduction to Metallica was the black album. I don't know if I've ever really I've met plenty of kids who are, you know, those people who are 10, 12 years younger than me. They were, they were 12 years old in 1990. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really met somebody though, that was, you know, like a young kid that came in though with, with no more tears, although it's very popular possible because again, this album was all over the radio and this might've been your introduction into Ozzy Osbourne and maybe people get into it this way and they go backwards so smart on his part I'd also like to mention that the album is very very well produced sonically oh, yeah. it's 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 very obvious that you know we have uh 
uh, Dwayne Barron and John Prudell listed as the producers. And it's very obvious that they sunk a lot of money into this. They wanted an album that was very smooth and clean, like an album that would slide right into radio. It reminds me of kind of where Aerosmith would be around this time where Aerosmith's production started getting really slick. It's obvious, and I've heard Ozzy say this, that this this was an album that they wanted every song to possibly be a single, kind of like the way Mutt Lang came in with Hysteria and looked at Def Leppard and said, let's make an album where every song can be a single. So you can see that these songs, you can tell that they really crafted these songs. There's no long extended jamming. There's no weird instrumentals. There's no, it's like very well-crafted songwriting here you've got big hooks you've got melodies you've got everything you put headphones on there's a lot of subtle little things keyboards layered guitars there's a lot of layered vocals on here like in the courses think of mama i'm coming home i mean that one to me is obvious that they probably sat back okay guys this is a single let's spend some time really polishing this up with keyboards and strings no more tears has strings in it uh you can just tell that this was a very well thought out record that they really took their time on this nothing sounds like it was just jammed or thrown together in the studio everything's very well thought out conceived and thus uh there were a lot of songs that got radio airplay on this like we said mama i'm coming home the title track road to nowhere time after time i don't want to change the world i mean these are all ones that had videos or got played got played on the radio uh so in that sense it was very successful and you sort of go down the list and there's there's a number of other songs that just as easily could have been slotted uh and and got desire you know that's got a big chorus to it uh sin hellraiser you know, these there's so many songs practically every song on here could have been a single and could have uh could have been successful and could have could have done well so in that sense it's 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 an impressive album from a sonic pers perspective it's probably the most polished ozzy album maybe i mean osmosis is a very very produced album also but maybe that sort of goes a little bit overboard but uh this this album right here it's just it's obvious that they took their time with it that they were really going for a hey let's let's make a record that's just going to be from top to bottom strong songs and and i think they succeed with that if you're looking at it from the perspective of you know hard rock classic rock radio yes me i me and i believe you feel the same we would rather have revelation mother earth or killer of giants and you know fire in the sky and you know tattoo dancer or suicide solution but you know you don't get that here but i can sit back and and look at this and and respect uh the the, the craft that was that was put into this record through the production and the songwriting and the songwriting craft and everything. I think personally, I would have preferred to have something. If, if you'd have asked me at the time, well, if you could tell Ozzy or if you, or you can have some input into an Ozzy record, circa 1991, what would you want? And I would have said, ah, oh, 
I want something that sounds like Black Sabbath, <laughs> you know, because at this point we hadn't had anything. It was years before the reunion. And I was, I was really hungry for something Sabbathy. And it really, the only way I was going to get any kind of Black Sabbath vibes was listening to Soundgarden. You know, um, that was Absolutely. a close thing. Yeah. Or even like you get into some of the doom metal that was in and around that time too, which was just kind of started. I mean, we had older bands that had been around since the eighties, like Trouble and Witchfinder General. But I mean, as far as anything that was it was more contemporary, it was it was it was like Soundgarden. But if you'd have asked me, what would you what would you want? What kind of an album would you want Ozzy to put out? I would have said something more aggressive. And and even now, I I I do like this album. I, I listen to it. Um, you know, a few times a year, I guess. Um, I like it. I like it more now than I did when it came out, for sure. Or even like, you know, when I when I did finally get it around 93. Um, but to this day, I, I'd still prefer it if it were just a little bit more aggressive. If it, if it had a little bit more of an edge to it. Uh, maybe a more raw guitar. I, I like blues rock, too. I, I like southern rock, too. And I was a big fan of uh pride and glory i saw zach's pride and glory at the tla in philadelphia it was a small theater and we just walked right up and standing right in front of him i i also i really appreciated the three-piece band uh thing that he that he had going and i think it wasn't so much or it was just equal parts southern rock and also like like grand funk you know a 70s type of throwback thing that he had in mind i mean he had uh uh, was it Brian Brian Ticci on drums and he uh, he didn't have James Lomenzo he had a different bass player I don't remember what his name was but uh, yeah I mean Brian Ticci was uh, was great he had like a he had like a bottom kid he had like a 26 inch kick drum 14 inch rack 16 and 18 uh, floor toms and you weren't seeing that at that time in the mainstream yeah. bands, I mean, most of the, you know, you had like smaller kick drums, like 20, 22 inch kick yeah. drums and like, you know, rack systems with like four rack toms in front and cymbals everywhere. I mean, this is like, you know, seventies kind of a, kind of a thing. So, you know, Zach was doing that in pride and glory, but there's, there's a bit of that also on, on this album, you had mentioned, you know, that um, there was more of a bluesy kind of Southern rock, thing going on 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 no more tears and and that's pretty cool um but, but it, it was it wouldn't it wasn't what i wanted to hear at that time now i've kind of grown more into it and, and i do appreciate it um but it, it it kind of it didn't really engage my interest too much um at that particular point in time the production though yeah the production was great um i don't think there's a whole lot of difference i want to get ahead of ourselves but I don't think there was a whole lot of difference between No More Tears and the album that would follow, which was uh, Osmosis. Osmosis. Yeah, yeah, not not a whole lot of difference. But I think um, it was a, a it's, it's been remastered. I have a vinyl version here that just came out in the last record store day, and it it sounds phenomenal on vinyl. I mean, it just fills the room up. I mean, you hear all the instruments are separated really well. It's a lot of depth, a lot of dynamics to it. It's a great mix and and the remaster makes it sound even better. Um these two guys, the, these producers, I'm not aware of anything that they had done prior to this album. Dwayne Barron and John Purdell. 
uh, were the producer slash engineers. Uh, I know that they gave it to Michael Wagner to be mixed. Michael Wagner, of course, was an 80s superstar. It involved a lot of things. I think he did uh, some docking. Um, did a lot of stuff in the 80s. Um, they record label, I, I believe, gave their mix, the Dwayne Barron, John Perdell mix, and gave it to Michael Wagner and said, what could you do to this? And he said, nothing. It sounds sounds great. It's a flawless mix. I, there's nothing I can really do to it. And he's like, but let me sit down with it for a little while and, and you know, wrap my head around it. And, and you know, if you want me to do something to it, I'll, 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 I'll see if I can. But right now, my instinct is to just leave it alone. It, it sounds good. I, there's nothing I can think of to do. A little while later, he came back and he said, you know, I, I have been listening to it. And while it sounds great, I think it needs a little bit more energy. I think it needs a little bit more uh, of a live kind of a sound. It, it, it kind of sounds a little bit, and I don't think this was his word, but this is my interpretation of what he, what he meant, a little too sterile. So Michael Wagner went in there, he remixed it, made it pop. So now we had a great production and we had a great mix. And this record just sounded great. I think if it didn't sound as good as it did, maybe the songs wouldn't be as interesting i i know that i'm not a real big fan of ballads but i am and i'm really not a big fan of the song mama i'm coming home but i gotta say when you hear that and it gets towards the end and there's a little bit of yeah. a pause and he sings that yeah. uh acapella uh, without you know and he kicks into that chorus you know i mean the hair in my arms does kind of stand up you know it, it's yeah. very effective the way that it that it's rendered um so i mean it, it makes the album it makes the songs on the album even more effective. So we had good songs. We had a great production. Um, if we didn't have that, I don't think that Ozzy, we'd be talking about Ozzy the same way we're talking about him right now. If it weren't for this album, this was, this was a big plateau. This was where everything from this point on came from it, it, if, if he didn't have this moment, if he didn't have this album, I don't know what would have happened. I think Ozzy would have just kind of like, I wouldn't say he would fade into anonymity, but I, I'm sure he wouldn't be as relative as he is now. You started out in your intro saying that, you know, his name would be a name that even your grandmother would recognize. I, I don't think that would be the case if this album didn't land yeah. the way that it did at this point in time. This pushes him in, in that, yeah. in that Main, direction. Yeah. Me personally, if, what I was hoping for, and I think this was the point where I resigned myself that I'm never going to get this from Ozzy again, was is I wanted that Blizzard of Oz diary of a man. I wanted Mr. Crowley. I wanted those classical overtones, that European, that Gothic type sound and imagery and the, the scales and guitar scales and stuff like that. And I realized when this came out that we're not getting that. You get a little bit of that on uh, No Rest for the Wicked, but Zach again is a different player, and and I don't fault Zach for it. You know, Zach has said that he realized he had to carve out his own identity, and Randy had that sort of classical mix in his playing. Uh, Jake was a real pyrotechnic, you know, L.A. type guy, and Zach realized well he had to carve out his own thing his own sound so he went with the more bluesy pentatonic uh 
chicken picking, uh, Frank Marino, uh, you know, that, that, that style of guitar playing. So that's why for me, it was like you, I, 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 I can I can take this album out and I can en enjoy it and I do pull it out a few times a year but it just kind of felt like man I'm never going to get the I'm I'm never going to get that again you know from from Ozzy and I remember when Gus G came into the band I remember thinking like whoa okay maybe Gus G was talking all about how he wanted to go back to you know that sort of Randy classical type of thing of course we didn't get any of that on the Scream <laughs> album no but at you all. know I was reading an interview with him recently like a couple of weeks ago and he said that he had ideas and he didn't want to do that yeah and he had yeah. ideas that were closer to that blizzard and diary sound and he was like no <laughs> we don't want that that's not what yeah. we want we want something more contemporary and yeah. he said it's the same he's like because i think I, I would have liked to have have heard this album the way that i i had envisioned it the the riffs that i had the ideas that i had i wish i, I wish we would have made that album he's like but my hands were tied you know yeah i can um, absolutely believe that because this is also the point Again, this sets Ozzy in the trajectory towards the Osbournes and Ozfest and Ozzy becoming a brand. Mm -hmm. Ozzy starts to become a corporation at this mm -hmm. point. He becomes a brand, you know, his name, the image, uh, the whole, they start really capitalizing on the whole bats and doves and the whole just Ozzy image type thing and Ozzy becoming this 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 brand and you know again when i just take the album for what it is I, I do like it because there is a lot of good songs on it but there's just this place in my heart where i i just remember thinking like it's not coming back you know we're not going to get another blizzard of oz we're not going to get another diary and i sort of resigned myself to you know this is a good record but it just never quite felt the same for me maybe it was an age thing again i was aging out of this i would have been 20 at this at this time when this album came out i didn't get it till probably 94 95 or something like that so i was probably like 24 25 when i got it and i just you know realized that uh you know, Ozzy's grow, grown up and he, he's he's not the Ozzy. You know, he's become this sort of slightly different, different uh, person. But uh, so we we mentioned Black Sabbath, you know, we've, we've mentioned them. And I mentioned in the intro, the Ozzy, uh, Just Say Ozzy EP. I, I do remember getting that when that came out because I was very interested to hear how Zach was going to play those songs and you get kind of a, a a fairly interesting uh mix of of uh songs on it you get uh you know you get miracle man uh, from you get songs from no rest for the wicked you get miracle man bloodbath and paradise you get shot in the dark you know him doing a jake song tattoo dancer which is pretty neat and then sweet leaf and in war pig. So I remember thinking that was pretty cool. And I kind of thought it had a lot of energy. I kind of liked the way Zach approached a lot of those songs. Although the, I remember thinking the pin, pinch squeal thing that Zach did was, was kind of annoying, especially in a live setting where he seemed to be doing it every two or three seconds. But uh, yeah, I just thought we'd mention the just say Ozzy EP. I know we had a few people 
ask us if we were going to cover that. And we kind of felt like it didn't, it, it didn't merit its own uh, solo episode being that it is only an EP, although it does clock in at 30 minutes and five seconds, which uh, editors note is about the average length of a Van Halen record <laughs> with David yeah. Roth. Uh, so it, it's, it's a longer EP, if you will, but we just kind of felt like it, it didn't, uh, merit its own episode, but it is interesting because geezer is, is on it. It's kind of interesting hearing geezer play some of these, these Aussie solo tunes and getting to hear Zach in a live setting for the, for the first time with Ozzy. So any memories on the, just say Ozzy EP? Yeah, I, I got it. I got it when it came out. Um, and and I, I listened to it a couple of times. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool, but I didn't really, uh, I didn't really gravitate to it very often. Um, but what I heard, and I, I'm holding it in my hand now on vinyl. Um, yeah, I mean, it was cool hearing Geezer. It was cool seeing Geezer picture on the back of the album cover. It was like, wow, okay. That, so we have half a Black Sabbath. That's that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, hearing the songs "Miracle Man," "Bloodbath," and "Paradise," "Tattoo Dancer," live. Um, real high energy, great guitar tone, real live, real energetic performances. Hearing Geezer's bass, you know, with these songs is really cool. He, hearing Geezer and Ozzy both doing Sweet Leaf and War Pigs, that's also really cool. Um, Shot in the Dark is um, supposedly Ozzy's favorite version. Uh, that that he's ever well, he likes it more than than I. Ozzy's going on to say that he doesn't like that's his least the ultimate sin is his least favorite album but he does like some songs from it but he didn't like the way that it, it, it came out but um he references this version of shot in the dark as his favorite also re recently I I was reading somewhere that um the album was supposedly recorded live at the Brixton Academy um I guess that's in London but I've also heard that that's not that's not accurate that it was supposedly recorded at the tower theater in, in upper Darby, Pennsylvania, which is a town right outside of Philadelphia. Also, that was kind of curious because you couldn't have uh, a further distance between those two particular uh, locations. You know, one's was it basically in my, in my, I was living in the city at that time. I was probably about 15 minutes, 20 minutes away from where this was supposedly rumored to be recorded. Um, but for whatever reason, they have it listed as, recorded at the Brixton Academy Theater, and I believe that's in London, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, it, it, it's cool. I, I I guess they wanted to have something where it represented this this band. Um, it was shortly before Geezer left. Ozzy was firmly rooted now in Los Angeles. Uh, Geezer Butler quit the band shortly after the release of this, and, and shortly before they started working on No More Tears, because he wanted to go back to England. England was his home. He didn't feel as though, um, you know, as comfortable being living in the United States as, as Ozzy did. Ozzy, like he preferred the the overall vibe of living in California. He felt it was more conducive to work. He liked the climate. He didn't want to go back to England at that particular time when it was overcast and rainy. And he was happy to be in L.A. So Geezer went his way. Ozzy and Randy and, and Zach went their way and of course you know not to reiterate what you said but finding the bass player Ozzy wished he had Bob Daisley and of course what Zach had said well why don't you just get Bob Daisley so but enter Bob Daisley and now we had the band that 
that went in and recorded No More Tears. But um, I, I guess if nothing else, just say Ozzy kind of documents the the Geezer Butler um, addition to the band at that particular time. Of course, he would come back later on. But yeah, it's pretty cool that we had something from that that timeline with with Geezer. Yeah, I it. Uh, I do agree that the version of Shot in the Dark on here is a bit more exciting, rocks a little bit harder, has a little bit bit more energy maybe than the ultimate sin version which is kind of uh you know maybe a little slick uh but yeah. it kind of reminds me of do intermission where because it's an ep it's hard to really get it get invested in it get get into it because it is kind of so short but yeah uh it it, it was fun to have these to have these songs uh you know here and everything so all right, shall we uh shall we move into this track listing on No More Tears? Yep, let's go. Okay, so it opens with uh Mr. Tinker Train. Uh I don't know. This is an okay one. I I don't know. This 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 never really grabbed me. I don't know if it's sort of the awkward name or something. I mean, when I go down the the open the songs that have opened all the previous Ozzy albums before this, I like them all better. You know, Miracle Man, The Ultimate Sin, Bark at the Moon, uh, Over the Mountain. Uh, uh, I don't know. You know these. I like them all better than 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 this. Uh, it's not a bad song, but I don't know. There's just something about it that just it just sort of sits there for me i just kind of don't like the the i guess the rhythmic feel of the song and i kind of don't like the the chorus of it that much either so it's a little bit of a disappointment never really cared for this one um yeah i'm not crazy about it either in fact i think you could take it off the album and start the album with i don't want to change the world and i think i don't want to change the world would be a much better opener i think it's a, it would be a perfect opener for this album but and then you could also, when you say, well, you'd be one song short, well, then you could move up the bonus track, Don't Blame Me. But I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Um, Mr. Tinker Train is the only song that kind of has this weird lyrical thing that it's like, wait a minute, is this like a pedophile? I mean, and it's kind of like done in a self, it almost has a celebratory vibe to it. It's like, you know, Mr. Tinker Train, you know, it's yeah. like it's like really it isn't it isn't presented in a in an undesirable or or in a dark manner it's almost like it's an uplifting happy fun song about something subject matter that isn't shouldn't be necessarily treated that way um but maybe i'm getting too too analytical about it um this song itself is cool it's got a pretty good riff um starts off with that little intro with the xylophone and, and whatever it is the yeah. um uh the sound effects and everything like the a toy piano the or something yeah yeah um so i guess from that from that perspective having the sound effects the children's voices and the, the xylophone or the toy piano whatever it is is, is kind of an intro opening type of a thing um you know and the song kicks in with you know pretty heavy zach riff and it, and it moves on um it, it it's just okay uh I usually end up like skipping over that and going right to the second song. But uh, it is it is strange that this album is jam packed full of songs that could have gotten radio airplay and 
but this is probably this and like zombie stomp are maybe the most least radio friendly uh or songs that i could picture so it's kind of strange that they start a record so full of hit songs with a song that doesn't really feel like a hit <laughs> like a hit song yeah. to me it just feels a bizarre way to start start this album I, I just wonder why they they decided to pick this so yeah it's it's not I just don't maybe I'd be okay with this this feels like a side two song for me maybe at the most oh to open side two at the most but it just kind of feels to me like a song that should be somewhere a little bit more buried on the record or, or- or, or it could have been, you know, it might sound more at home on No Rest for the Wicked because we had some questionable uh, subjects, topics on that album, Tattooed Dancer and, yeah, uh, you know, some, some more schlocky type stuff on, on that album. Um, this kind of sticks out like a sore thumb a little bit. But, All right, know, there we, we uh, move on to I Don't Want to Change the World. We get to hear almost everybody gets in on the writing credits here. Ozzy, Zach, Randy, and Lemmy gets in here on the writing. Uh, I don't like this one. Uh, I, I, when we did No Rest for the Wicked, I talked about how I I, I hate crazy babies. This mm. isn't quite at crazy babies level, but I just I don't like this chorus. I hate it's so sing-songy. I yeah. don't want to change the world. I don't want the world to change me. And then you get that I, that line, lick that Zach plays. It's just so like, and the lyrics are so like, you know, I don't want to change the world. I don't want the world to change me. And again, it's this Ozzy like almost singing about himself like i'm crazy nobody tells me to change because i'm still crazy you know that kind of thing and oh i just i do not like this chorus it's so happy and like sing-songy it's oh and that again that lick that zach plays makes me cringe every time i hear it it just it's like a throwaway rock number three chord rock it doesn't have and, and not that you know, no bones movies is, is is a three chord tune also, but it, that has some sort of edge and f- that has something to it. This to me is just like rock the feel to it. It's, it's just, ah, I, I, I don't like this one. I don't want to change the world. It's not, it's not crazy babies, but it's, it's somewhere <laughs> it's, it's in the same yeah. uh, zone as crazy babies for me. I think it's pretty cool. Um, I, I first heard this on Live and Loud, and 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 I like the live version of it. In fact, that was that was one of the reasons why I went back to No More Tears and like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I should check that out. It, it you know, it's got some good songs. I like the live version of it. Um, the studio version is you know pretty similar, uh, but if I hadn't heard the live version first, if I'd only heard the studio version i probably wouldn't like it as much i like the energy in the live version on live and loud so going back and listening to it in studio version you know it's cool um i didn't know that the lyrics at the time were written by lemmy now that i do i i appreciate that i like lemmy's lyrics i like lemmy's approach um it's always from an observational i have lived the life of (laughs) i've lived a hard life i've had i've been you know thrown around i've had ups and downs and you know he's 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 rode hard and and put away wet as they would say and i like when lemmy brings that 
into his lyrics. And there's a little bit of that. It is a bit sugar-coated. And you're right, it, it does have kind of a sing-songy uh, chorus. But uh, once I found out that it was Lemmy that wrote the lyrics, I, I, I just liked it. I, I just like, I don't want to change the world, but I don't want the world to change me. It's almost kind of going from an optimistic sort of thing and and it does it 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 has Lemmy's personality in, in it. It's like I don't you know I don't want to be yeah. a rock. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be a Bono. I don't yeah. want to be you know Bob Geldof. I don't want to be a guy that's a musician. I want to change the world. But you know I mean I kind of want to stay who I am. I just want to be who I am. I I don't want I don't want to change yeah. the world, but I don't want the world to change me. The, the sentiment I thought was was pretty pretty good. It was pretty clever the way that it's presented in the song you're right it does have kind of like da, na, 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 you know sing songy kind of way which which could turn you off but um i, I like it. It, it it's not my favorite song on the album but but i do like the song and, I, and like i said i think it would have been a better song to open the album with than mr tinker train mr tinker train if it had to be on the album at all i would probably move that somewhere on side two or maybe the last song on side one or something like that um, yeah and you're right yeah. you do you do you can kind of hear lemmy in these lyrics and i do like the line i like the uh tell me i'm a sinner i got news for you i spoke I to, spoke god, to this god this morning, morning and he and don't, don't like you, you. that's lemmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's lemmy. that that's a great line but yeah okay uh next we've got uh one of the big ones here on the record maybe maybe the biggest one on the record here mama i'm coming home this is ozzy zach lemmy again on the lyrics uh this is a big one and although i was I, you know i didn't know what to make of the like the the intro and everything because it does have kind of a country-ish kind of vibe vibe to it but uh i like the fretless bass on here you know we mentioned that bob daisy's on here unfortunately bob's bass is kind of it's hard to hear it in the mix. It's there most of the time, but here on this song, he's playing fretless bass, like in the intro and the verses, and it just sounds so cool. And I, I just think that Ozzy's uh, uh, delivery on this one is fantastic. You mentioned earlier uh, like that at the end here, when, when it's just Ozzy singing by himself and there's that big dramatic climactic ending to the song. That's just a very well, very well written song you know you could picture that they were just going to fade out and then the guys hey we really need something that pops at the mm -hmm. end of this song and they really produced it well there's all kinds of uh uh background vocals uh and again this is also a kind of feels like you know ozzy sort of starts this is that phase for him where he starts looking back at his career times have changed and times are strange here i come but i ain't the same uh you could have been a better friend to me uh it, it it's just a good song and i i think that uh, zach i'm not a fan of black label society uh for many reasons and i find that zach's soloing with black label society he lacks the melodic side that he had with Ozzy and I don't know if that's because it's Ozzy's band and he approaches it differently or maybe a producer pushes him in in this direction but here you get a, a just a great solo melodic solo from Zach and uh no this is this is when when you talk about 
so Ozzy's really, really big songs, Crazy Train. Uh, this is maybe right up there with with Crazy Train as like one of his sure. his big, big uh one of his big, big numbers and uh very signature you know, Ozzy song and one of his uh one of his better vocal performances and and just a very very well written song and it's and you can tell that they knew it because it's placed right here the third song in that's usually mm -hmm. where your big hit is placed on on the record the video was you know got got tons of tons of airplay and everything so so yeah i i, I like this one i like this one if a lot yeah if it were anyone else's song i i, I wouldn't like it at all but i i like and, and we we've talked about it numerous times about how um even if ozzy didn't write the lyrics he can just sell yeah. a ballad man he just has that tone in his voice and and with this it's so effective it, it's so emotional they're not his lyrics they're lemmy's lyrics but you know ozzy takes ownership and says that they were about uh my relationship with sharon when i would be on tour i'd when we were on our way home before the tour was over i'd call her up and say mama i'm coming home and so that this song was for her also you know it, it's interesting probably at this point to to say that a little bit of background here um prior to this album ozzy was in court ordered rehab because and i'm, I'm sure you heard about this too this is yeah. when he threatened to kill sharon or he actually yeah he like tried did, to kill I, her. I remember yeah. hearing about that at the time i'm like oh my god somebody needs to separate these two um but she pressed charges he was arrested he went to jail um and he went to court and they ordered it you know he said that well, he was he was under the influence of whatever it was that he was doing at the time um and they ordered him a court ordered rehab stint now this is also supposedly the only album that Ozzy was involved with that he did sober. Now, he then sometime later, he said, well, not entirely. I was on prescription medication, but I don't know if that was something that was part of his treatment or or if it was something that was taken illegally. But he was in a different state of mind. And I think that also contributed to maybe some of the self-awareness that was brought into this uh, into the scope of things here on this record. But. I, I kind of get the impression that it was necessary or he felt it from an emotional place to to put an ode to Sharon, an ode to his spouse, you know, the woman that he just tried to kill maybe a couple of years prior. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so that gives it a little bit more of an emotional significance um, from an outsider's perspective. But it's also really easy to to take this song and internalize it. You know, it could either be about your significant other or a loved one or something like that. The lyrics are broad enough, and, and I love when a song can be internalized where you could personally come connect with it and it become can become part of your story. And I, and I think this song this song does that. Uh, these type of songs I'm I'm generally not a fan of, but in this case, largely due to the fact that it is kind of open to to interpretation and i i really love the way that ozzy sings it um yeah it's a good yeah. song <laughs> i'm surprised yeah it is a good point and we've mentioned this before that ozzy is very good at singing with conviction like he wrote these lyrics selling yeah. the song ozzy is very good at selling the song and this is a song you know not to get not to get morbid but when Ozzy passes, I hope that 
they do a tribute show for him akin to maybe something like what they did for Freddie, Freddie Mercury at Wembley, Wembley arena. I can just picture a big tribute show and I can just picture this intro to this song. You know, maybe there's a bunch of guests on stage and someone like Elton John sings this song or some other yeah. singer. And I can just picture this intro happening and they're not being a dry eye. In oh, yeah. I'm getting a little choked oh, yeah. up even thinking about it. You know, this yeah. is like one of those, one of those songs that when, when Ozzy passes and they, I hope oh, they have, God. I hope he never passes, but uh, you know, uh, if there would be a tribute show to him, this, this would be a moment in the show where there wouldn't be a dry eye in, in the house, because again, it's one of these songs yeah. that you really, maybe his, his biggest ballad, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's his biggest ballad. I, I yeah, I think it is. Um, I and you're you're right. Oh my God, if they really want to like get people in the feels, man, they, they get like <laughs> the, they fill the stage up with people, and then there's a big chorus, and they yeah, they have yeah. an effective pause before that last chorus, and yeah. everybody looks at the sky, and and it's like the whole coming home. Yeah, exactly. Line. Oh my God, yeah, it was like you could so, almost like end so the whole. And it's the a whole movie. tribute concert with yeah. that, and it would just, yeah. you know, everybody would be, everybody, everybody would be in in tears after that for sure. sure. So, so yeah. Okay. Um, uh, next, desire. This is Ozzy, Zach, Randy Castillo, Lemmy again on the lyrics. Uh, this one's okay. It kind of reminds me of uh, I don't want to change the world, although I like it better than that. It's kind of a straightforward rock number. Uh, it's again it's 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 there it's it's got a it's it's got a catchy chorus it's the same old desire nothing has changed nothing the, the same uh it's just for me again and, and here we get him sort of referencing it's the same old desire crazy train crazy you know referencing the older stuff and yeah. it's okay it 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 just doesn't this just isn't like the i just don't this kind of thing is not what excites me with Ozzy. These just sort of really straightforward kind of three chord classic rock type chords. Uh, yeah, I just miss my minor scales. I miss SATO and things like mm -hmm. that, you know, and even, even the more lighter fare from Ozzy from that era, whether it be no bone movies or little dolls or, uh, you know, whatever. It's just, I don't know. This is just, it's just kind of forgettable to me. It's it's a good song, but it it's not really not really one that hey, you know, I'm really in the mood for desire. Where's my yeah. no no more tears album? <laughs> if, I, or if I'm making a playlist or something, I'm not including yeah. this on the playlist. And not because it's a bad song. It's just like it's just there. And that's that's the problem that I have with a few too many songs on here. They're just kind of there and they just sound like rock songs and and i and i don't like that there's really not a lot of metal in this in this song for me but no this one sounds pretty generic and that, that's my biggest gripe with it it's not a bad song it just sounds generic it could be done by anybody else there's nothing about this that requires it to be sung by ozzy there's nothing about it that kind of like molds itself to the ozzy persona or there's anything that really connects with ozzy 
Uh, the lyrics are even generic, and and surprisingly, they're written by Lemmy. Even Lemmy was kind of probably at this point just like, oh, I'll give you some lyrics. Hold on, <laughs> give me give me give me ten minutes. You need one more song? Okay, I'll give you give me give me ten or fifteen minutes, and I'll get you something. Um, but whereas Geezer could like do take fifteen minutes and write something phenomenal, like Spiral Architect, <laughs> Spiral yeah. Architect, or, or a Symptom of the Universe or something. Um, this is what Lemmy delivered. Uh, yeah, just generic. It's my really only my, my gripe. It, it's probably one of my least favorite songs on the album. But it's not because it's a bad song. It's just because it doesn't have any relevance to Ozzy. It doesn't sound like an Ozzy song. It just sounds like a generic hard rock song that Ozzy's singing, maybe even for someone else. But it's on his album, so yeah, that's where I'm at with it. It's a filler track for me. All right, no more tears. Uh, the title track we get uh, every lots of people on the rating credits on this one. Ozzy, Zach, Randy, Castillo, uh, Mike Inez gets a credit for reasons we mentioned earlier, and even the producer John Perdell gets a credit. I'm going to guess that's for the sort of synth string stuff in in the middle of the song. Uh, this is a good one, probably the heaviest, darkest song on the record. So I like it for that. Uh, Zach's guitar is like tuned down. And so he gets this sort of sludgy uh, sound to his his guitar and this uh, Ozzy's pretty menacing and evil sounding in this, you know, yeah. the light in the window is a crack in the sky. You know, he's got that classic sort of pinched uh a nasally Ozzy sound that gives it sort of that wicked, evil, evil vibe to it. So this is a good one. This is the epic on the record. I do really like it. It's is it it's maybe top three on the record for me. Not quite sure what my favorite song on the record is, but it's probably in the top three, maybe number three for me. Uh, do I like it better than Fire in the Sky, Killer of Giants? Uh, Waiting for Darkness, Revelation, Mother Earth, or Diary of a Madman? No. But uh, with everything else that's on this on the record, I appreciate the heaviness of, of this one. And that middle section is pretty cool when everything kind of drops down and the key, the strings and everything, and then everything stops and you get that keyboard, and eh, and. Eh. And you know that that's pretty cool, and it's pretty orchestrated and oh yeah, and worked out and, and everything. So so that is that is really cool. So yeah, I I like this one for its heaviness and it's the darkness quote quota in it. Yeah, it, it's the darkest song on the album, and and I think it is in the same wheelhouse as like a Diary of a Madman or um, uh, Fire in the Sky something maybe that harkens back to an earlier point in Ozzy's career way more so than anything else on this album or even in the last two albums. But I think we're, we're kind of at least we have one song on here that kind of does pull in some of Ozzy's past into the present as it was at this point in time. I, I, I like the song. It has a dark quality to it. It's definitely epic. It's the longest song on the album. It's at seven minutes and 24 seconds. Um, but I think it, it it's kind of overproduced. I mean, I, I do appreciate, you know, an epic production, but I, I, and they did for the most part, pull it off live pretty well, in spite of all the bells and whistles that are going on from the production aspect on the album. Um, but listening to it, I, I feel like I, it kind of like, I get kind of pulled away from the vibe of it because there's so much that's 
of the production that's involved with the atmosphere that's not instrumental as much as it's having to do with sound effects yeah, and yeah. lighting effects and things like that. That that kind of pulls me away from a song. Um, I'm all about layering instruments and, and things like that, as long as they're instruments. When it gets to the point where there's voices and things, I mean, yeah. I, I know that you're kind of a fan of that. You you like the headphone mix. And, and I, I don't hate it, but I think that where I'm really grooving to, that the things that I'm really grooving to for the first half of the song with the dark, I even like the slide guitar kind of has a sinister, slippery, yeah. slithery sound to it. I like that. It, it doesn't come off as bluesy or southern rock. It comes, right. Yeah, you're comes right. across as kind of creepy and really yeah. pulling that that vibe out in front. Um, but then when it gets into the piano and the the swirling sound effects and stuff, then I I kind of I kind of get lost in it. Um, but then it comes back and it gets back into it. Zach comes when it when it gets through that part or that section uh zach comes in with a guitar solo it's really nice and it brings it back into the beginning with the bass line and it starts pretty much all over again um so aside from that um i really like it it it, it and i i, I do appreciate that it, it it gives it gives a different vibe than the rest of the rest of the songs on the album the, rest of the songs on the album are kind of more or less uh standard hard rock a little bit of party you know let, let let's uh let's rock um los yeah. angeles kind of a yeah. rainbow bar and grill you know well we wrote this one <laughs> late at night at the rainbow bar and grill lemmy was there uh it, it's the kind of the vibe i get for the most for the most part on this album but no more tears kind of stands apart from that and i think it's well not only is it the namesake of the album but i i, I think it's a pretty essential part of this album if this if this song in any capacity whether it was the namesake or not or otherwise i i think without this song i think it's the glue that holds it all together um, yeah so, yeah yeah this is an important song and it's placed pretty well on the record too i think if it was placed much deeper in the record I, it might have been hard for me to get through the initial listen to this i needed this at this point because it kind of felt like okay here's some dark heavy ozzy that I want to hear but again it just sort of left me like nah, man it's so close to like it's, it's definitely a good song and it's heavy and everything but it and it gets me close to those old Ozzy vibes uh but it's still just a little bit it's just a little bit below the bar for me when I compare it to the other epics that that came uh before it but Okay, uh, sin. All right, here we are back in desire that that kind of territory. Although I will say that I like the chorus in this one. The I can see them, I can see them over and over. I think that that is pretty cool. I like kind of the chord progression right in that that part. But again, it's it's just more of this sort of classic rock uh type of thing i mean i like this better than desire i certainly like it better than i i don't want to change the world but uh this one i think is on is on uh live and loud isn't it yep and uh, yeah, i like the version on live and loud better than the studio better than the studio version so i remember when i heard this on live and loud i liked it and uh but when i heard it on the record i kind of felt like it was a little a little stiff on it, it didn't jump out at me as much as it did on from the live version but uh 
again, it's okay, but it's just, it's just kind of forgettable. Like, honestly, sometimes when I look at these songs, maybe it's because the title of the song, I don't know what that means. And I don't know what, what its relation to the song is. So I often forget, like, I look, oh, sin, which one is that? Oh, that's the, I can hear them. I can hear, you know, it's that one, you know, but it's just kind of, I don't know, another one that's just kind of, kind of there for me, slightly better than desire. And I don't want to change the world, but here it's just, it's not knocking my socks off. It's not making me, you know, not getting me super excited. Yeah. So, um, but, but it, it is one of the ones that I, I generally gravitate to when it comes on, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do enjoy it. I, I, I do like the, um, like I said, I, 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 I like the chorus. I like the verses. I like the way that Ozzy sings. And I especially like, like the way that he sings the, uh, the chorus. Uh, I like the breakdown in the middle. I mean, the whole song, the way the song is constructed is really good. And, 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 and again, it does remind me of, of something that might've been on no rest for the wicked that kind of carried over to this album. So, um, altogether, I, I think it's probably like my top three on, on this album. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, let's see here. So that brings us to Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a cool one. Let me in on the writing on this. In fact, uh, they made a video, kind of a cartoon video, not that long ago. <laughs> with with Ozzy and and Lemmy in the in the video there and, and Motorhead did a version yeah. of this song I forget what 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 Motorhead album is that on do you remember uh what was it there was, it was one with um oh what was the name of it it was uh I'll have to look it up here while no, we're no, no, no. give me a minute it, it starts out with with stand it, it, it's an album and I have it here hold on give me a minute not orgasmatron is it orgasmatron no, no. uh fight wait wait i'm in the motorhead section oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting there i'm getting there uh it is rock and roll no later than that it is march or die oh march or die yeah march or die which is an album if we were talking about motorhead this would be the album that i would defend because most people dislike it uh, but yeah, Hellraiser, and this came out around the same time, ninety-one, I believe. No, did it a little later? Okay. Uh, but yeah, so and and the Motorhead version is just a little bit faster. Yeah, the Ozzy version kind of plies along a bit. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, cool. No, I like the chorus in this. This is kind of like the rock and roll rebel vibe for me in this one oh, here yeah. you know yeah. the chorus is really really big and the hell razor in the thunder and heat i think that's a that's a great chorus and i do kind of like the verse you know a doom, 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 you know with the bass kind of chugging along uh so yeah i like this one this is a great chorus i also like the motorhead version too surprisingly you wouldn't think that uh Lemmy has a very different voice than Ozzy. You know, he has a very kind of gritty sandpaper voice, but I think Lemmy sounds really good on it too. And it, and it really isn't that much different. Uh, the Motorhead version, like you said, it's a little faster and obviously Lemmy's singing it, but it's basically the the same song. It isn't like some kind of big rewrite or something. So, so yeah, it, yeah. it's a cool <laughs> song. 
I like it. And it's kind of fun. The fact that you know, obviously Lemmy's in on the writing credits on this, but how it works so well as both an Ozzy song and a Motorhead song. It, it, it sounds like a Motorhead song that Ozzy's singing. And I think that, that Zach playing the guitar, I think. Yeah. And it would pull back a little bit in the tempo. It kind of modifies it to, to an Ozzy, puts it in an Ozzy, uh, in an Ozzy context. But when you hear it on, on the Motorhead album, it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a, this is a Motorhead song. Um, and, and, and it sounds like not Lemmy just didn't write the lyrics. I mean, they definitely sound like Lemmy lyrics, but it sounds like Lemmy wrote the song and gave it to Ozzy, even though the song is credited to Osborne Wild and Killmeister. Um, I have a suspicion that most of it was probably written by, by, yeah. but it works on the album. It, it's, you know, it's a good vibe. It has that, that weird little sound effect in the beginning, you know, that, that yeah. dark churning kind of a thing. And then it kicks into the, you know, that, that, that riff, which is kind of like a, a, a blues rock riff, kind of like, yeah. uh, I wouldn't really say it was Sabbathy, a little bit motorheadish. You know, it's one of the heavier songs on the album. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it has a good, you know, it's a good place on the album. The album kind of needs that yeah. Hellraiser vibe, and Hellraiser delivers that, so it's cool. I, I like the uh, the line too. That section where it's like feeling all right in the noise and the light, but that's what lights my fire. That's a great like pre-chorus. Yeah. So. Okay, we go on to Time After Time. We're now on our second ballad. This is Ozzy and Zach on the writing credits for this. I like this one. Again, I like Ozzy singing ballads. Uh, I just like it. I like the lyrics in it. Uh, interesting. You know, who wrote the lyrics for this? Uh, Ozzy, I guess. Because it's, it's only, only Ozzy and Zach listed here. Yeah. So I doubt that Zach would have written the lyrics. But uh I, I I liked also too. There's some great great vocal harmonies in this. Like when he does the day after day, the games we play. You know, it. Uh, I watched love fade away. There's these great like vocal harmonies that come in like halfway through each one of the verses, and uh, uh, that part I can hear them whispering shadows, yeah. and yeah, so. Yeah, I like this one. I like this one a lot. Uh, and again, I just I like Ozzy and ballads, and I just like the way he sings this and the way the vocals are layered and everything. And Zach has a really cool solo. It like sort of breaks at one point, and Zach's playing like this busy, like line climbing up his guitar neck and everything. So he has he has a great solo in this too. So I like this. This is a top top three for me on this album. Yeah, this is one of the first th songs I think of when I when I I think about No More Tears. It's one of the, the songs that pops into my head. It's a good ballad. Um, and as far as the lyrics, I mean, I think that Ozzy wrote some of them. I think there's a lot of people that when when I think when Ozzy was in the studio, he would be sitting there. They'd be working on the songs. He would be getting ready to sing songs that were open ended with with lyrics. He would be like, "Hey, you come over here and help me with this song, will you, please?" And then you know, the guy that was walking by my, oh, yeah, sure. What can I do? Well, I got this one line. Can you, what do you think would come after that? So anybody that was around would sometimes, you know, whether it be one of the producers or the engineer, one of the musicians, and maybe they might only contribute a line or two to link 
the other things that maybe Ozzy had going on to pull it all together. But I don't think there was anybody that's really credited specifically for writing the lyrics on, on, on the song. But the impression that I get is that it's probably Ozzy with the melodies almost for sure, probably wrote most of the lyrics or at least some of them. Zach probably helped out. Maybe Bob Daisley wrote a little bit. Maybe one of the producers wrote a little bit. But for all intents and purposes, the the song is is only credited to uh, to Ozzy and Zach. Um, but you know, it's a really good ballad. It's very melodic. It's very memorable. Um, sounds pretty heartfelt. It seems to be like Ozzy talking about a relationship where he's got some animosity towards the person that. You know, he feels that they may have been involved in a romantic relationship or maybe a friendship of some sort. But um, so it comes from a sincere and, and realistic place that I think is pretty easy to connect to. And one of the things that gives the song a little bit, a little bit more appeal for me, it isn't something that is so specific that it's like, oh, I feel like I'm intruding on somebody's personal life. Um, it's very easy to connect to it and, and bring it into an internal uh, place. So. Yeah, I, it's it's a great song. Ozzy you know, can, can definitely you can definitely do a ballad, and and you know, there are there's three big ballads on this album, but I mean, probably in the context of any other album, that might be too many, but um, not not on this. I, I I think they're all pretty welcome, but they all have like it's like a power ballad, but yet it it, it doesn't have like a consistent power ballad vibe throughout it all. It does have kind of a of an up part where you know it gets a little bit heavy but then it comes back down and it levels off into that power ballad kind of a thing but it's got some dynamics to it so it isn't just kind of plodding along in that ballad uh framework it it does kind of have a little bit of a of a I don't know how you would describe it but something that a little bit more of a of a dynamic a little bit heavy and then come pulls back down again yeah. so yeah Your typical like ballad from an la band glam band at this time it's just the guy strumming a, a, an acoustic guitar like every rose has its thorn type of thing but like that little picked guitar thing at the beginning is really interesting and it, it it's almost like the verse is kind of happy but sad at the same time the way the melody is it's sort of mournful and and everything and yeah there's that contrast then when the electric guitar comes in it's it's really heavy and i mean ozzy is just his band it's they're too good of a songwriter to have some throwaway ballad that you would have heard on some cut rate right. la glam band or something from like around this time this is way more sophisticated and intelligent and well written than the, the stuff that you were getting from a lot of those bands all right. That said, we move on to Zombie Stomp. And uh, I do not like this one. I do not like this song title. I, I do not like the hey, hey, to the zombie stomp. Hey, hey, do, do the zombie stomp. It's just. No, no, I don't like this one at all either. In fact, no. this is my crazy babies. This is a song that <laughs> I, I just can't even get into it at all. I mean. <laughs> It, it it just brings the album down. When you could say it's like, you know, prior to this song, I would say, oh, this is like a, it's a definite nine, 10, nine out of 10. It, maybe, you know, you can even argue for a 10 out of 10, but 
the inclusion of zombie stomp, man, that, that pulls it back to like an eight and a half, <laughs> eight or eight and a half. It's like, no, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. your crazy babies and raise it one zombie stomp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, and it's you're, very you're, strange. You're, this, album needs, this album needs this is this is really good. We're off to a, we're, we're almost there, but what we really need <laughs> is a song like Crazy Babies. Yeah, <laughs> but about zombies stomp it dancing. Zombie stomp. Oh yeah, that yeah. It's that just such perfect. an awkward, stupid, stupid title, and and the. The whole feel and vibe. This is where that like Zach's like country rock, southern rock thing really just goes too far for me. It it has way too much. Like the main riff has this like I don't know this feel to it that I just I just do not like. It's it just does not work for me on on any level here. I almost always skip over zombie stomps. So yep, so do I. Let's uh, let's move on from from Zombie Stomp, and we've got AVH, and uh, this is another one that I don't really care for. It's very forgettable for yep. me. I don't like that the intro there with the slide uh, yeah, like pedal steel guitar or whatever that is. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's just it's forgettable. In fact, when when you were talking earlier, I muted my microphone and I listened to it really quick on my phone for a few seconds just to remind me of what the song was because it's just it's absolutely forgettable. And I I don't know where I read this or somebody said, oh, uh, who's the guy in Fozzy, the wrestler, Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho. I, I, I think it's I, it's I think it's on Wikipedia where it says that. Chris Jericho supposedly talked to Ozzy and asked him what AVH meant. And he said it was Aston Villa highway Aston right. Villa being a uh, soccer slash football team from Ozzy's uh, hometown, uh, but completely forgettable and coming after zombie stomp now. And can, you know, this is how, how long is this, this album, uh, I don't, I don't I don't the total time it's this is probably a good 50 plus uh minutes here you know this yeah. record over 50 minutes and you could have 52 minutes something you, like that yeah. you could have easily dropped zombie stomp and avh and the album would have been nonetheless uh for it like i said earlier i think i would have I, I would definitely drop zombie stomp and i would or or even Mr. Tinker Train. Um, and I would bring in Don't Blame Me, which is a bonus track, which I think is a that's a good song. I, I think it's more worthy of album inclusion than than Zombie Stomp. ABH, I'm okay with. Um, I don't like the beginning intro. It's like you said earlier, you 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 don't like you like country or, or you, you like southern rock and you like blues rock, but you don't necessarily want to hear it mixed in with your Ozzy. I kind of feel that way um to to a certain degree um i'm okay i have a, i have a, i have a certain threshold this goes over that threshold this is a little <laughs> yeah. bit too twangy yeah this is a little too southern rock for me um right off the right off the bat starting off with that intro i'm like oh man I, i'm not into this i can just tell i'm not gonna like this but it, it moves into it and it's okay it's not bad i mean I, i'll definitely take it over zombie stomp but um yeah, it, it definitely not a highlight for me. Um, but again, it's one of those songs like a desire, basically three three filler songs on this album: Desire, Zombie Stomp, and AVH. 
and why they called it Aston Villa Highway, I have no idea. Um, I know that Zach used. I know when Geezer was in the band, and of course we know this also from from reading his book. Um, that that Geezer was a very very big uh, Aston, Aston Villa, Villa football yeah. team. I mean, he was like yeah. really really into it. And Ozzy goes on to say that you know that he you know the whole the whole band really followed this team and were were really into to their home team. But Geezer was into it to the point where if they lost a game, he would like lock himself in his room and he wouldn't be <laughs> in for like 24 hours. So Geezer really took it to heart and was really very serious. And, and Zach, when, when, when Geezer was in a band, Zach would sometimes tease him about it. And I, I guess it was something that Zach would say and poking fun at Geezer, poking fun at his football team. And it was just something that Aston Villa, this Aston Villa, that, and this became Aston Villa highway for whatever reason. And I guess, they gave it the acronym and in early interviews they they asked ozzy when when you know the album came out and it only had the song listed as abh and what does it mean and ozzy's like oh i always tell you what those songs mean but i'm not going to tell you what it means this time you'll have to figure it out well of course there's no way to figure it out because there's nothing about the song but later on once i guess you know some of the mystique or some of the prestige of the album sort of you know dissipated as uh, he said, oh well, it's you know it stands for Aston Villa Highway, um, but yeah, yeah. So there it is. Okay, so we end out the album with uh, "Road to Nowhere," the third ballad on this record. I like this one also. I like Ozzy's uh, delivery on this. It's Ozzy here in sort of a reflective mode. I was looking back on my life and all the things I've done to me. I'm still looking for the answers. I'm still searching for the key. I always like when Ozzy is, and this is, I think, the charm of Ozzy, why so many people love Ozzy, even though no one's going to sit here and tell you that that he's the greatest singer in the world. He's not Freddie Mercury. He's he's not Ronnie James Dio. But I think the charm to Ozzy is just sort of the self-deprecating humor in some ways. And like the way he, you know, the road to nowhere leads to me. You know, he he kind of looks at himself like I am this flawed character. I am. Uh, somebody who's gone way too far too many times. I, I I have issues. I have I have problems. But uh, it is what it is. He, here I am, and he's this guy that you kind of you want to root for him. You know, you you he's he's this underdog, if you will. He's he's a guy that he wasn't necessarily gifted with the most acrobatic voice in the world, but he was gifted with this unique voice and this one of a kind voice. And so I've always appreciated Ozzy when, uh, when he, 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 this, this outlook that he sort of has on him, on himself and his delivery here in this song, you know, like when it, when the line, uh, in the second, I believe it's the second verse, he comes in and he goes, through all the happiness and sorrow, you know, the way he goes up on that uh, melody line there, live for today and not tomorrow. Uh, The wreckage of my past keeps haunting me. It just won't leave me alone. 
uh, you know, he's and he does this to, to this day, you know, the song Ordinary Man is kind of the same thing, too. He's sort of looking back in like, you know, I've had this crazy life. And if you remember the video for this song, he's sitting there in a chair and he's there's a TV and it's flashing like old clips of him and everything. And uh, so I, I know I just find this really endearing about Ozzy when he when he sings like this, it, it feels it feels uplifting because he feels kind of humble and he's kind of coming out there like, Hey, you know, yeah, I'm this, I'm a big millionaire and I'm a guy on big stages and a rock star and everything, but man, I've had my issues too. And I've got my problems and I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular guy like you. And I think a song like this really puts that across. He's not afraid to put himself in that light. The road to nowhere leads to me. You know, he's just, I'm just a guy. You know, I'm not anything special. You know, I'm just I'm just this guy. And I just find that very, very endearing about Ozzy. And I think that that's why so many people do love Ozzy. He never comes across as arrogant or cocky or anything. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He comes across as a guy that's kind of insecure with himself and with his abilities. And he's slightly unsure of himself. But that sort of endears you to him. You know, it makes you want to root root for him. And uh, so, yeah, I like this one. Yeah, I I like it a lot, too. Um, He as he comes from the era of rock gods. I mean, and and we've we've talked about this before um, and we've gone into detail about this before. And I think it's one of the ways one of the reasons why Ozzy is very endearing is he comes from and his he's in the context of 70s rock. Um, where we had like for our Freddie Mercury's and we had our Robert Plants and we had these big rock gods that would be on untouchable, top of like an ivory tower and they'd be yeah. singing down and you would look up to them and they would be your your gods, they'd be your idols, you know. And 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 we kind of need that. We we kind of like to have these idols that we look up to that maybe that sort of prestige or that sort of uh identity is is unobtainable and that's okay because you know you you don't have to be it's it's good to have those people in your life that you look up to and you don't necessarily have to feel like oh now there's more pressure for me to to be on that level you can kind of appreciate them on that level likewise i think when you have somebody that has an iconic status like ozzy but yet is flawed and not in a melodramatic way not as in a look at me, I'm tortured, I'm a tortured yeah. artist, I'm suffering from my art. It's not not in that way. It's a very organic, earthy guy at the end of the bar that you see sitting there that you want to go over and you want to talk to and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And then you, you end up, you know, talking to him for about three hours or something yeah, and you get yeah. him to know him. He's that kind of person, but he's also in that echelon of rock royalty, which makes it it, it, it's sort of that uh gosh what, what what's the word that that opposite sort of thing going on you have rock royalty but you have somebody that yeah. you could probably see in real life and feel like you could walk up to and and talk to and say hey hi ozzy you know how are yeah, you and i yeah. say oh i'm pretty good you know and you could probably <laughs> have a conversation with him um at least maybe at, at at one point or another i don't know how he is these days but um but I, I think that's the thing that makes it something that people can really appreciate 
from uh, having a, a, a sincerity to it. And when it comes back to the beginning of when we started this episode and where I was talking about that, I think kids didn't want any to, to have that dynamic where they were isolated from the music and the subject yeah. matter. I feel like the kids wanted to be able to uh, relate to it and, and connect with it and, and have something that they could hang on to because you know everybody at some point in their life whether they're a kid or or even an adult has you know you you, you sometimes turn to music for to kind of help work out whatever things you're going through and i i don't think that a lot of times or, or at least at this particular point in time when this album came out the kids were looking to um albums like ram it down or fear of the <laughs> dark or some of the more yeah overblown arena rock metal albums as comforting or as something that they could really relate to. Um, but then Ozzy comes out with this and it's, we all know about Ozzy. I mean, all the publicity stunts. Then, like I said, just, you know, maybe about 20 minutes ago or so prior to the recording of this album, Ozzy gets in trouble and he's under court order to go into rehab because he tried to kill his wife. I mean, you know, that's a pretty personal thing, but, you know, people sometimes when when they hear about another person's tragedy, it isn't because they're being sadistic. It's because like they're almost thinking, wow, you know what? Everybody has their flaws, you know, and, and it, it Ozzy's flaws, in spite of his stature being so publicized, I think it's what enables people to really develop a connection with Ozzy. And I think the way that the lyrics are, are laid out the way that he sings a song, very heartfelt as, as always in a ballad, in a ballad form. Um, but it, you really get a sense where this is not a melodramatic a guy that's like, you know, embellishing, Oh, my life's so hard. I mean, he's really singing from experience and we know because we've been, you know, as fans of Oz, we've been reading about all this stuff in magazines and newspapers and things like that so he's not kidding he's not in fact if anything he's sort of like you know glossing over some of the more um probably sensitive things that have happened during the road of life that he was on um but yeah the road to nowhere pretty appropriate for you know at, at yeah. this point you know we've got like all the 70s uh a career you know, a really active career in the eighties. I mean, yeah, he's got 20 good years of a lot of like activity. And now he could with, with all validity sit there and say, you know what? I've got a lot of things that I can yeah, get back on. I've and lived then, it. Yeah. And so that's where this song falls. And it's, uh, yeah. You, you know, and when we're, we're talking about him too, you think of when you see Ozzy on stage, he never seems like he's posing, you know, he's never, Robert Plant with his hand on his hip, you know, kind of standing there posing. And, and again, we need that kind of thing. You know, those things are larger than life characters are important. But Ozzy's always feels like he's like he's there for the people. He's he genuinely he's the party host and he genuinely yeah. wants you to have a good, good time. You know, maybe David Lee Roth, the other ultimate party host. You know, if you're if you're having a party at your house, you know, you want to have someone like David Lee Roth or Ozzy to organize it and put it together because you know it's going to be a good time when those two guys show up <laughs> yeah david lee roth is the guy you want to hang out with when you go to the parties because you know the girls are going to be hanging around david lee roth and, and yeah. subsequently be hanging around with you you know he's that friend you want to bring to the party because you know 
there's going to be a lot of attention. Ozzy's the kind of guy you want to bring to the party because you know you're going to get into some wacky hijinks. Yeah, at the you know, end of the night, be, you're going to have stories to tell. You're going to have a lot of great stories the next day. <laughs> Maybe you'll have good stories, too, with David Lee Roth, but in a different kind of way. But with Ozzy, you're going to have adventures that you're going to be talking about for years to come. Oh, my God, <laughs> you remember that one time we ended up in that tree or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. All kinds of crazy. Remember crazy when Ozzy put the this lampshade on his head you know yeah uh, and yeah, the people right, that he's totally. worked with have stories like that you know the people that oh my i'm sure zach has like zach could probably write a novel yeah. several books about you know all the uh the escapades he's been through with ozzy and he'd probably like just fall over laughing at, at some of the stuff you know i mean even some of the things i've read going through Ozzy's book and the things that he's talked about himself and some of the, and some of the things that geezer's talked about geezer Geezer really uh, portrays Ozzy in a very uh, lovable, affectionate way, but nonetheless hysterical. Some of the yeah. things he talks about. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy's that guy. And, and it's cool hearing him sing a song like Road to Nowhere. Okay, uh, we can probably give a mention here, too, to uh, some songs that were on the Japanese version, uh, bonus tracks, and that appeared on the uh, 2002 remastered version. And I don't know, are these on the vinyl? But uh, we're going to talk about Don't Blame Me and Party with the Animals. Uh, you know, these could have been in place of Zombie Stomp and AVH. Uh, Might have made the album slightly better. I don't know, they're, they're rockers, Don't Blame Me it's it, it's a hard rocker it's it's fun i guess uh party with the animals is another one you know it's not they wouldn't have made or break the record but i might have preferred these in places zombie stomp and avh might have made the record a little bit more more fun yeah i take don't blame me and i put it in place of zombie stomp uh these two songs don't blame me and party with the animals do not appear on the uh 2022 remaster um, but they are in the box set there's a they're not on the box set record but they're in a um separate record with the uh with unreleased tracks and b-sides and things like that but they're not on on the standalone album um i think don't blame me is really cool also the name of that video biography yeah. that came out is really good um i've watched that quite a few times um party with the animals Nah, that doesn't work for me. I'm not into that one. I, I think that's good for the uh, Japanese bonus. Send that one over to Japan and uh, leave it there. <laughs> uh, I'm good without that. But don't blame me. I like it. It's pretty cool. Could have been on the album. I don't know why it wasn't. But, yeah. Kind of forgettable songs. Um yeah. Typical bonus well, it's here. typical for that time. They were just, you know, you needed these extra tracks. So you get a one or two B-sides, but it's kind of fun, I guess. And you, they have yeah, them as a bonus thing today. But These are bonus tracks that I, I think are, are just that. They're like, okay, well, here's some here's some songs yeah. that we had that weren't, they didn't make the cut, but you might be interested in hearing them. The songs on No Rest for the Wicked, we talked about The Liar and wasn't another one. Was it Amy? Was that the other yeah, one? Uh, yeah. The Liar and... Uh, uh gosh what's what's the other one it's yeah it's slipping my mind here i'll have to uh, let me see here liar and uh hero hero right those two songs those songs should have made the album yeah that, they were yeah. beyond being bonus tracks so those, those were great songs that i yeah. i think are 
relevant to the album and could have made the album better, I certainly would have yanked Crazy Babies and put the liar on there. I think you know when you go back and listen to that podcast, I think we did did recommend that would have been a thing to do, but didn't work out that way. We we weren't in charge of that planning. I wish we were, but we weren't. <laughs> they forgot <laughs> to ask us. Uh, but but sometimes bonus tracks, you know, you end up you, you really like and you think, wow, man, why didn't those songs make the album? Well, I would say that's the case with these. Uh, they definitely picked the best songs for better for worse, yeah, um, and put them on the main album. But, All right, well, there you go. There's our thoughts on a no more tears. I think it's a, uh, no, I think everybody can acknowledge it's it's a kind of a turning point album for Ozzy, moving him into another phase in in his career. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, not really. Um, it is an important album and uh you know i mean we're, we're, this is a black sabbath podcast but i think you know since we are going through the individual members and their solo projects i i think that it's you know it's one that we we have to approach with um a lot of significance because um it would also bring i think ozzy's popularity is what moving forward when we get into the the reunion i think it made it facilitated there being an interest a, a, a deeper interest a more relevant interest in black sabbath i you know and that, i hope that doesn't rub anybody the wrong way but i i think that if it weren't for ozzy's success uh and drawing a lot a, a different generation's attention toward ozzy's former band i think it brought black sabbath and the original lineup of black sabbath into a relevant context that would reemerge, you know, in 96. Well, it, it, it did in 85, but I think that was more from a nostalgic point. I think moving forward, I think that there is an interest in, in Black Sabbath again because of Ozzy's contributions to music, to, to contemporary hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah. And I think, you know, people started to get, oh, well, what was Ozzy's? Yeah, he used to be the singer of Black Sabbath. Well, let's check out Black Sabbath. And these kids were like, wow, Black Sabbath's awesome. They're my favorite band. And But I was too young to to be a part of that. I, I wish that Ozzy would, would get back with Black Sabbath. I think the success of Ozzy's solo career, bringing new fans, bringing a new generation of, of fans into the, uh, into the contemporary landscape made Black Sabbath more relevant again because i mean at the time i mean black sabbath so we're in 1991 i mean where were we now at black sabbath well we were getting ready gearing up for geezer left and he went back to uh yeah we're approaching dehumanizer and, and yeah and we're getting ready we're gearing up for dehumanizer um and there's you know mixed mixed reactions to that um we'll get to that next i think that's next on the list um but uh Otherwise, prior to that, you know, Black Sabbath was sort of like, you know, we got to Tony Martin. The last podcast we did was Tear. We talked about that at length. And, you know, I don't think either one of us came away thinking that was a really significant album for Black Sabbath. That was like, yeah, whatever, you know, it, it's called Black Sabbath. And the same could be said for the albums before that, at least from my perspective, Headless Cross is another album that it's pretty much Black Sabbath in name only. Um, and so, you know, if it weren't for the strength of Ozzy's career, I think that at this point, if Tony Iommi kept doing what he was doing, I think it would have just driven the legacy of Black Sabbath into the ground. Yeah. Um, and, I, and again, I, I hope this doesn't disappoint anybody. And I, you know, well, if it does, it does. But 
from 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 my vantage point, I I think that it and it, it it's so out of the ordinary. It, it's so unexpected that Ozzy would be the person to really be the flagship for the Black Sabbath legacy. You would think, oh well, Tony Iommi because it's Tony Iommi's guitar playing, it's his riffs. Yeah. Certainly, Tony Iommi would keep the legacy of Black Sabbath alive, but he he didn't. Um, and even though Ozzy wasn't really necessarily playing music that that was in the same wheelhouse as black sabbath it was his voice and his voice being such a main characteristic of black sabbath i think brought it, it to a, a a new audience and people that were curious about hearing the original band together so i think that um even though this is a black sabbath podcast and we're, we're spending you know a lot of time talking about solo dio solo ozzy's bill ward it all basically comes back to Black Sabbath. And I think this is Ozzy's career is probably most significant to coming around full circle with Black Sabbath than probably anybody else. So Yeah, I never really thought of that. Fun. But if if Ozzy's if Ozzy's career hadn't taken off like it did it, well, maybe not taken off, but but well, yeah, I mean, this was a huge album for him. Like we've said multiple times here, you know, it really propelled Ozzy into the 90s. Osmosis would be a huge record, multi-platinum album. Uh, and if that hadn't happened, let's say Ozzy had decided, yeah, should we make an album like No More Tears? Or should we go back to the Ultimate Sid and make a good old L.A. glam Sunset Strip record? Yeah, let's do the Sunset Strip record, you know, filled with all kinds of cliches and outdated things and everything. Right. It could have sunk. It could have sunk him. And it's hard to think this. It's, oh, no, you know, Ozzy would never have been reduced to a club act. Well, hey, when Ronnie James Dio was selling out the Spectrum, selling out mm -hmm. hockey barns all across the U.S., he probably yeah. didn't think there and think that in five years he was going to be playing in clubs either. When Iron Maiden was was selling out Madison Square Garden or Long Beach Arena for multiple days, they probably weren't thinking that in five to seven years we're going to be canceling tour dates and barely able to even put string together a tour in the U.S. I mean, so... It could have happened to Ozzy, and if that had happened to Ozzy, if, if if maybe there wouldn't have been the impetus and the and the and the drive and the move towards getting back together with Sabbath, because maybe Sabbath would have Sabbath would have been they were against the ropes, they their sales figures were way down, they couldn't tour in the U.S. and maybe they would have looked at maybe they would have looked at each other and said, "Hey, we got to get back together to try to." get our careers kicking again kind of like what dio yeah. did with the humanizer where you know his sales figures were dropping and that was i'm sure a motivating factor same thing with the sabbath guys their sales numbers were 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 cratering and they thought hey we get to back together with ronnie it's it's good for everybody at uh -huh. this point and you know maybe they would have thought that with ozzy but maybe they also would have thought no or maybe when they did get together back with ozzy it wouldn't have been as successful as it was because there would have been a whole bunch of people standing around going ozzy he's still around man i yeah i thought that album he released that hair metal album he released in 1990 that's the last time i heard anything from him you know he it might have taken him at sort of out but by the time he gets back together with sabbath again ozzy's this huge huge you know he ozzy's playing arenas and soccer stadiums all over all over the world he's bigger he's bigger than ever so yeah it is kind of an album that if they had turned in a different direction 
you know, it could have changed the ripple effects from that could have changed a, a, a lot of things. You know, we maybe we yeah. wouldn't have gotten the Sabbath. Yeah, like I, I started out saying, I, I, I think this album is pivotal as far as where things would would move. And of course, as Sabbath fans, you know, we're, we're getting we, we love Ozzy's solo stuff. We love Dio's solo stuff. But I think um, at the end of the day, we kind of wish that uh, Ozzy had never left Black Sabbath or OK, well, then let, let's say that we're, we're going to sacrifice Ozzy with Sabbath for Ozzy's solo career. Well, then, boy, I wish Dio had never left Black Sabbath. I wish we could have continued with um, the mob rules and went on to an album, a studio album after that with Martin Birch at the production helm and do something every bit as great or if not better than mob rules. But that didn't happen. Um, but so, I mean, it always comes back to being a Black Sabbath fan first and foremost and then liking these soul at least it is for me you know, who do i like more black sabbath or do i like solo ozzy well i like i like black sabbath more um so it always kind of comes back to the relevance of you know well how is this going what how is this going to affect the possibility of black sabbath getting back together again with 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 ozzy and if this album not to keep being redundant or anything, but if this album hadn't had been so relevant and as successful as it was at the time, I don't think there would have been much of an interest in Black Sabbath. So it yeah. facilitated that reunion yeah. forthcoming. I don't want to get too far ahead of it because we're going to get into a lot of that yeah. when we move into um, Osmosis because then we're going to be getting into the Ozfest and the yeah. new metal and reunions and everything else. That's that's chock full of historically significant things. This is a little bit premature, but just as like kind of a forecast or a little bit of a foreshadowing aspect to the end of this episode. Okay, well, there you go. Our thoughts on uh, No More Tears. Uh, if you would like to hear some more Black Sabbath-related content from me and Darren, uh, uh, check out my YouTube channel, Layer of the Alchemist. We do a thing we call Sabbath Sunday, where we tackle various uh, Sabbath-related topics also we've been posting the video for like the last podcast episode we did i put up the entire video on the youtube channel so if you would prefer to uh see our faces while we're talking through the video like this you can check it out on the youtube channel if you would like to support the podcast uh beyond listening which we do appreciate we appreciate everybody's uh, support out there you can you can go to kofi dot com that's ko-fi.com slash into the void a black sabbath podcast i'll leave that linked in the description of the podcast and you can make a donation in any amount you would like any donation is is very much appreciated so thanks again to everybody out there and uh before we go make sure you remember that you can only trust yourself the 19 Black Sabbath studio albums and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. Mm -hmm.